0: Thanks, brother. All right. Well, Dave, you stole my thunder for, for John. Got, I got on my, my thing right here. Drax is back. Okay, right over there. Drax is back. Um, but thank you, Dave. We want to make sure we know that John was in the hospital all week last week. For those of you that, that didn't know that, he was in the hospital all week last week. And with pneumonia and stuff, he's, 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 he's doing good. He's on the right track. So say thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for my brother. Very much so. Okay, communion is next week. Um, when I was writing my little teaser, Allie had texted me, and I was writing my teaser at a, as a stoplight between the Villages Regional Medical Center and here. And uh, I got my weeks mixed up. It's next week. It's not this week. Okay. Jim Thomas called me. Are you? No. My bad. My bad. Um, also, today I just wanted to tell you, um, yesterday my grandson Knox was in the Fruitland Park, soapbox derby race, and a car that he and Josh and I had built, and uh, I was lubricating it with WD-40. Anyone familiar with WD-40? Okay. It's, it's great for everything, right? Well, I inadvertently, I, I got it, I, of course, I was spraying it everywhere. So the the more WD-40, the faster you go, right? Anyway, I got it on my hands, and then I wiped it on my face, and I got it in my eye, and, and I, oh, I was feeling terrible, so I went in the bathroom at Culver's, you know, and wash my face and, uh, just with water. Anyway, I woke up in the middle of the night last night. My ear was hurting. My head was hurting. My eye was hurting. And so I Google it at 3 in the morning. right? And so uh, apparently it's a thing. All the symptoms lined up. And so I jumped in the shower at 3. I'm scrubbing down with soap and water. And it is a little bit better today. But if I come up to you today and you notice a tear in my eye, my, my, my right eye, it's, it's not just because I'm happy to see you. It's because I got WD-40 in my eye. So anyway, just saying, just saying, watch out with WD-40. I I thought it was safe, but apparently it's not. So get in your eye, irrigate your eye, and do all the stuff that I did at three in the morning. So, but anyway, well, here we are again in the gospel of Luke, edging our way closer to the final earthly destination of Jesus, which is what? Jerusalem, right? Jerusalem, that's where he will be crucified. We be dead and buried, but he will not stay dead. Correct? Right? We know the rest of the story. We actually are part of the rest of the story. We are his sheep, the sheep of his pasture. We are his people. We are the church of Jesus Christ. And that means we are the human manifestation of the kingdom of God here on this earth until he comes again. And speaking of that, speaking of the second coming... That's where we're headed today in chapter 17 of Luke's gospel. Today we will hear from Jesus himself about his second coming. And that's all things that we need to know. Very important stuff. So stay tuned, right? But first, if you weren't here last week, I'm going to do just a very brief recap of what we covered and what you may have missed. We started with the parable of the unrighteous manager, which was a very unusual parable, and the related lessons that Jesus drew from that parable for us lessons both of good things and bad things. Number one, we are to be faithful with the resources God has allowed us to have, whether it's a lot or a little, okay, great or small. Um, the second thing is how we handle our finances reveals character, reveals our character or the lack of character. How we handle finances, other people's finances and our own finances also reveal what's most important in our lives. What are we spending our money on? What is most important to us? Jesus made it very clear that you can't serve two masters. You can't serve and love God if you serve and love mammon. And I define mammon as covetous wealth and greediness. In chapter 16, Jesus taught on marriage, divorce, and the importance of the biblical model of marriage for marriage, family, and fidelity. Marriage is between a man and a woman, which has been the foundation of human civilization since the very beginning of human civilization with Adam and Eve. We talked about that last week. Chapter 16 concluded with the parable of the rich man, Lazarus which was a lesson in compassion and the need for it, as well as the lack of it. We should never turn a deaf ear to human suffering, to the suffering of others. And this parable, in powerful prose, depicts the possible consequences of ignoring the suffering of others and living a life of selfishness consumed with self-indulgence and self-gratification. If you were here, you remember that the rich man uh, ended up in Hades, which is, of course, it's, it's hell. It's the place of the dead. And you remember the song. He said to, to Abraham, let Lazarus dip his finger in the water, come and cool my tongue, because I'm tormented in the flame. Yet the poor man, Lazarus, who suffered at his gate with no help, was comforted for all eternity. It was kind of a, uh, that was not just a lesson for us, it was a warning, really. In a very literal sense, it was a warning about how we need to be compassionate to others. Very serious, very serious. Today in chapter 17, verses 1 through 6, we start off with stumbling blocks and a millstone stumbling block and a millstone then we move on to sin and forgiveness then faith of a mustard seed um, which we touched on several weeks back so listen as I read verses one through six of chapter 17 follow along with me in your bibles or your device or whatever he said to his disciples that is Jesus it is inevitable that stumbling blocks come they're they're going to come But woe to him through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than that he would cause one of these little ones to stumble. Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times saying, I repent, forgive him. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a mustard seed, you would say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we know you're here. We thank you for your presence. Um, God, you work in so many just very supernatural ways. In natural ways, but supernatural ways. And God, I pray that the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts today would be acceptable in your sight. The way this scripture is read and expounded upon, that it would bring understanding to our people, to us, and to glory to you. Holy Spirit, give us ears to hear what you are saying to your church today, individually and corporately. We pray for this, we ask for it, and we know that you will do it. We pray in your name, Jesus, and all God's people said, Amen. So Jesus says, it is inevitable that stumbling blocks will come. They're going to come. It's it's going to happen, okay? But woe, woe to him through whom they come. It would be better for him to have a millstone if it were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Now, really quickly here, I want you to know that millstones in Israel at the time were a very particular size and weight. Okay, a millstone is between 3,000 and 3,600 pounds, right? And they had certain measurements. So that's what he's talking about, right? It would be better if you had a millstone around your neck and be thrown into the sea, which I can't imagine that would be really great, right? Then he would cause, than if he would cause one of these little ones to stumble. So what is a stumbling block? Well, in this context... Anything, it's anything that causes, when someone causes a separation between someone and God. It's anything that drives a wedge between us and God. The opposite of a stumbling block would be encouraging someone in their faith. That's the opposite. Encouraging someone instead of discouraging them and messing with their relationship with God and throwing them off track. This teaching is also found in Matthew chapter 18, verse 6. And in Matthew, it's way more obvious that by little ones, when it says little ones, Jesus is referring to children. Because in Matthew, he's using a child as an example of the kind of faith that we should have to enter into the kingdom of heaven. So it's obvious he's talking about children. It's not as obvious in Luke 17, but that's what Jesus means by little ones. The Greek word is actually micron or microne actually so micro like micro it's a Greek word micron tuton, micron tutone little ones he means children so for us and this is this is good because we're having vbs tonight okay raising our children in the christian faith is so important for parents right and that's why we here we have a kids church and events like VBS at GNC because we want to stand in partnership with you the parents of these children to bring them up to believe in and to follow Jesus not just know oh yeah I went to church and they talked about Jesus that's not the goal for us as Christian parents we want them to believe in and follow Jesus as adults and that's what we try and do here But Jesus says, but woe to the one who causes our little ones to stumble and fall away from God. There are a lot of things in our society today, right, that are pulling our kids away from God. Those are stumbling blocks. Woe to the one who causes these little ones to stumble. It would be better for them to hang a millstone around their neck and toss them into the sea. That would not go well. So next, in chapter 17, is a lesson on forgiveness. It's fairly simple and very straightforward. So listen to what it says, starting verse 3 and 4. It says, be on alert. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times saying, I repent, forgive me. You know, I'm sorry. Shouldn't have done that, right? That's that's what he says, forgive him, forgive him. So if your brother sins against you, first of all, it says let them know, right, call them out. And if they fess up and repent, forgive them. So important, not conditional. Even if seven times in one day Jesus says repent, and they repent, forgive them seven times. Now in Matthew 18, which is sort of the sister chapter to this chapter, Matthew 18, Jesus said Forgive them not just seven times, but seven times 70, which is what? Anybody? 490. Thank you. Who's the savant in here? Very good. (laughs) 490 times, which is a biblical way of saying, forgive them all the time. Forgive them every time as they repent, right? The question, which seems to be left unanswered here, is one that was never asked. But I'm going to ask it, okay, just because I'm inquisitive, right? And here's the question. What do you do? If they don't repent what if they say no nope, not happened it never happened go jump in a lake right that's called unrepentance so what do you do then what do you do with that well I believe that Jesus answered that question on the cross okay with the cross and from the cross Jesus said this he said father forgive them for they know not what they do and what's interesting is that according to the, to the text those people who drove the nails into Jesus' hands and into his feet and plunged the spear into his side, they never said sorry. They never said they were sorry. They never repented, but he forgave them. He forgave them. That's good enough for me. That's good enough for me. I don't have time in my life, and neither do you, for unforgiveness and bitterness. Life is too short, right? life is too short and it doesn't help it doesn't fix the situation it doesn't even hurt the other person who offended you okay all it does is hurts you and if you want to know what i mean by that read the lord's prayer in matthew and following right after that if we don't forgive we won't be forgiven pretty serious right if we don't forgive we won't be forgiven listen to verses five and six The apostles, the disciples, they said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a mustard seed, you would say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Okay. We already covered the topic of mustard seed faith in chapter 13, but the gist is, just a little bit of faith accomplishes a lot, right? Jesus said, if you had faith, Of a mustard seed, which is very teeny tiny, right? You would say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and be planted in the sea and it would obey you. That says it, doesn't it? Have faith in God. Even a small amount of faith goes a long, long way. All the way from where that mulberry tree is planted into the sea. It will obey you. Um, Growing up. Uh, This next principle that's covered, growing up, my dad actually taught me this principle before I ever saw this in the scripture. He taught it to me when I was young, but especially when I was a teenager, okay? And here it is. This was the lesson. Don't expect to be praised or get a pat on the back every time you do what you're supposed to do. Every time you do your job. And I'm not saying this is a slam against my dad at all. I love my dad, and he really shaped my work ethic. And shaped my character probably more than just about anybody in my whole life except Jesus, right? But I'm going to be honest here, okay? It bothered me. It bothered me that my dad always noticed when I forgot to do something. But he rarely noticed when I did what I was supposed to do and do it well. Did you all ever have a dad like that, right? Okay. I did, okay? And he he would always notice if I didn't take out the garbage or I didn't do something. But he rarely noticed when I did something and even did it well. And that used to bother me, okay? But it was a good lesson, okay? It was a good lesson. He would say it this way. He would say, John, he said, John B. He called me John B. John B., we are a family, and we all have our job. We pull our weight. We do our part as part of the family. So don't expect a pat on the back. Every time you do your job, that's what you're what? That's what you're supposed to do, you know? You don't need to have a whole lot of praise for that. All right, well, this section of Scripture right now, it's talking about that principle that my dad taught me, and he probably learned from the Scripture. He was a Methodist, okay? Okay? But this has to do with our attitude towards God and serving God. So listen to verses 7 through 10. It says, which one of you, having a slave plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, come immediately and sit down to eat? But will he not say to him, prepare something for me to eat, and properly clothe yourself, make yourself presentable, right? Clothe yourself and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you may eat and drink. He does not thank the slave because he he did the things which were commanded does he so you too when you all when when you do all the things which are commanded you say we are unworthy servants we have done only that which we ought to have done so there it is that was my dad's lesson to me and that is Jesus lessons to us as far as our attitude in serving god in serving god verses 11 through 19 is a lesson on gratitude it's a lesson on giving God credit for things that He does in our lives, both great and small. In these nine verses, Luke recounts the story of the cleansing of the ten lepers. It is a short story um, short story, and Jesus is confronted by 10 people who have leprosy in a village between Samaria and Galilee. And they beg Him for help. They beg Him for help. They say, "Jesus, Master!" Have mercy on us. Jesus, master, have mercy on us. And he does he does. Jesus tells them to go show themselves to the priest, which by the way you've heard me talk about. That's that was what you're supposed to do. If you're healed of leprosy, you go and show yourself to the priest and then he certifies that you're healed so you can cuz you're not allowed to be around anybody. So you can go back to society, you can go back to your families. And so he tells them, "Go and show yourself to the priest." And while they are on their way, okay, they notice that they've been healed. No more lesions. No more evidence of leprosy. So they continue on their way to be certified by the priest, that is, all except for one. All except for one. One of those people with leprosy turns back to tell Jesus what? Thank you. Yeah. He goes back to thank him. He fell on his face at the feet of Jesus, giving thanks to him. And Jesus said this. He says, were there not ten? Right? Were there not ten, where are the others, where are the nine, right? Did no one return to give glory to God except this foreigner? See, because he was a foreigner, he was a Samaritan, that's who returned. And you know that Luke is big on Samaritans, right? And the point that, you, that people are, are not pleasing to God because of their ethnicity, right, or their color of their skin, or this or that or whatever, but because of who they are. Remember the parable of the good Samaritan? And the Levite and the priest went around, that was Luke. Well, here he's doing it again, okay, in telling this story about Jesus. The one who returned was a Samaritan, okay? And Samaritans were looked down upon by the Judean Jews and considered second-class Jews, right? Substandard Jews. Listen for all that in verses 11 through 19, the cleansing of the ten lepers. Starting at verse 11. While he was on the way to Jerusalem, which we know that's where he's going, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten leprous men who stood at a distance met him. And they raised their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they were going, they were cleansed. In other words, the leprosy just it went away. Now one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him, and he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered and said, were there not ten cleansed, but the nine? Where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner, the Samaritan. And he said to him, stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you well. In verses 20 and 21, the next two verses, the Pharisees question Jesus about when the kingdom of God is coming. And Jesus answers their question in a way that they do not expect him to do. Listen, starting at verse 20, it says, Now having been questioned by the Pharisees as to when the kingdom of God was coming, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed. He's not talking about the second coming. He's talking about specifically the kingdom of God. right? Nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there it is, For behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. So the kingdom of God is not going to be over here, okay, and it's not going to be over there. He's saying it's already here. The kingdom of God is in our midst. And I've told you this several times this year, just this year. We, the church of Jesus Christ, are the kingdom of God. It is here it is in us and we continue on in it to the kingdom of heaven and also in the age to come after the second coming of Christ. We, the church, are the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is in our midst. It is in our midst. But speaking of the second coming, that's where we're going right now. Listen to Luke 17, verse 22 through 25. Listen to what it says, 22 through 25. It's about the second coming. And he said to the disciples, the days will come when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. They will say to you, look there, look here, but do not go. He says, do not go away, and do not run after them. Because they're saying it's over here, it's over there, right? For just like the lightning, when it flashes out of part of the sky, shines to the other Part of the sky, so will the Son of Man be in his day, which is the day of the second coming. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. So what is Jesus doing there? What is Jesus saying there? okay He's painting a word picture through illustrations and through examples like lightning to help his disciples understand what the second coming will be. Like, So the first point he makes is it's going to happen. It's not going to happen in any certain place. Okay? It's not going to be over here. It's not going to be over there. It's not going to be in Jerusalem. It's not going to be in Leesburg, Florida. It's not going to be a beautiful second coming in the villages. Right? It's not going to be that. It's not going to be in any certain place. All right? It's going to be everywhere. That's his point. It's going to be everywhere, and it will be obvious. Jesus compares his coming to lightning, and there is nothing subtle about lightning. Right, Chuck? You know. You know, right? Nothing subtle about lightning. This can also be found in Matthew 20. Um, by the way, Chuck got struck by lightning, so, so you all get the joke. So you all, and survived, by the way. <laughs> God bless you, brother. But when I preached on this before, okay, I point out three things about lightning. Lightning is sudden Say that. It's obvious and it's final. Okay, Jesus wants us to know that the second coming will be like that. That's the example and the illustration he uses. Lightning. There won't be time to pack your things and to hop in your car to try and outrun it like a tornado. You're not going to be able to do that because it's It's gonna be instantaneous. It's going to happen like that. It's going to be like lightning. By the time you see it or hear it, it's done. It's over. Okay? I have this weird, funny, quirky thing about me. If lightning strikes anywhere close by, I do this. Watch watch me sometime. Watch me sometime. Lee knows this. Because I've had a couple close calls. I've had a couple close calls. And I duck, but that's silly, isn't it? Why is that silly? Yeah, it doesn't do any good to duck because once it's struck, it's hit whatever it's going to hit. It's already over. Okay? Ah, that's the second coming. That's what Jesus is saying. It will be sudden, obvious, and final. Also, there will be no time for conversation or deliberation with God. There won't be, this won't be happening. You you think the, the second coming starts happening. You say, well, Lord, you know, I've been meaning to get baptized. I've been meaning to go just down the road here to visit that little church there. Jesus, I think maybe it's just time we have a little old talk with Jesus. You know, that's what they say. No time like the present, Lord. Right? Can't do that. There won't be time for that. That's the point. Because time is up. Time is up. It already happened. It's over and done. That's the second coming. Jesus' message to us is we need to be ready and waiting when it happens y'all hear that we need to be ready and waiting when it happens we need to be his before it happens right that's his message the next point Jesus makes is that when the second coming happens it will be like any other day that's the next point he makes. It will be a day like yesterday or the day before yesterday or the day before the day before yesterday. You get my point. It's going to be a day like any other day. And there's going to be no warning. It will come out of nowhere like lightning. Sudden, obvious, and final. In verses 26 through 30, Jesus gives us two illustrations. Two illustrations. The example of the days of Noah and the example of the days of Lot. The days of Noah was a day like any other day until he entered the ark. And what happened when he entered the ark? The floods came and they were all destroyed. The days of Lot. It was a day like any other day until Lot and his family left Sodom. And what happened? Fire and brimstone rained down on the city and destroyed it. So listen for that in Luke 17, verse 26 through 30. And just as it happened in the days of Noah, so it will be also. In other words, the second coming will be like this. It's an example. It's an illustration. The days, it says, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and they were drinking and they were marrying and they were being given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same as happened in the days of Lot. They were eating and drinking and they were buying and selling and they were planting. They were building. They were just looking forward to the future, right? That's what they were doing. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just the same. Did you hear that? He's talking about the second coming of the Son of Man. It will be just the same on the day of the Son of Man that he is revealed, on the day that he is revealed. So the final thing, wait a second, no. So the day of the Son of Man will be like that. Jesus wants us to know that. That's one of the things we have to know. That's one of the things we need to know. Christians need to know that. It will be a day like any other day. the Days of Noah, the days of Lot. The final thing, here I am. The final thing tells us um, Jesus wants us to know about the second coming is this. Some will be taken and some will will be left behind. You've heard the book, Left Behind, right? So some will be taken, and some will be left behind. Some will be rescued, but some will be lost, lost for all eternity. In the last seven verses of this chapter, Jesus reiterates for us that the second coming will be sudden, obvious, and final. There won't be time to pack up your stuff or go anywhere to get away From anything. The word picture Jesus gives us here is very graphic. And actually, I was just telling um, somebody this morning, it's actually kind of spooky and scary, right? Really, I'm not kidding. It's kind of spooky and scary. It's because it's like the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. It's not just a teaching, it's a warning. This is a warning. He said in this passage, this last seven verses, he says, two will be in one bed. One will be taken and the other will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill together and one will be taken and the other will be left. Two men will be out in a field working and one will be taken and the other will be left. Listen for that in the last seven verses as I read. On that day, one who is on the housetop and whose goods are in the house, must not go down and take them out, right? Because there's going to be no time to do that, right? And likewise, the one who is in the field must not turn back. It's not going to do any good to turn back. Whoever seeks to keep his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night, this is kind of of spooky, right? Kind of spooky and scary. I tell you, on that night, there will be two in one bed, one will be taken, the other will be left. There will be two women grinding at the same place. One will be taken, and one will be left. Two men will be in the field, and one will be taken, and one will be left. That's crazy, right? That's, that's, that's wild. And answering, that is the, the apostles answering, they said to him, Where, Lord, where? And he said to them, Where the body is, there also the vultures will be gathered. In other words, you'll know. You'll know. Because it will be what? It will be obvious. It will be obvious. So the question we need to ask of this passage of Scripture is why, right? Why was one person taken and another person left? The answer is simple. One person was ready, and one person was not. One person was saved, forgiven, and redeemed, and one was not. One was a follower of Jesus Christ, and the other was not. One was in him, and one was not. Jesus' message for us is simple get ready and be ready and what he means by be ready is be his be in him and be faithful to be ready means to be his and to be faithful watching and waiting for his return in faithfulness that's his message That's his message. And boy, I tell you, that's some kind of way that he gets that message across. That's quite a lesson. It's not just a lesson, it's a warning.